Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Our views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Shoes, Productions, Curlyhead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. You're listening to the Chief. This is your Sunday evening forum. Nation Talk. Nation Talk is a live public affairs program that deals with issues concerning you for the studios of Savannah, Georgia.
Pamela Richards for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. One person's negligence shattered my life in a single instant. You see, my little sister Annie was killed by a drunk driver. Please, remember those you love. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Citizens of America, this is a message from FeedThePig.org. Americans spent more money than they earned in 2005. This is the first negative savings rate in the U.S. since the Great Depression. America, we must start feeding the pig. On the 1st and the 15th, we must pay ourselves before we pay anyone or anything. We must make a budget. Even consider cutting up a credit card. Log on to FeedThePig.org today. Find the benefits of saving for every stage of life. Brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Shoes. Jam Radio Productions, Sonahead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Evening form here talk to you and Jam Radio. Tonight we have several topics. Into the GOP, some more GOP stuff. What what they're doing or act of what they're doing. <laughs> and talk about USA and Cuba, but now that the USA has now raised, raised, finally raised their flag back up in Cuba, what are your thoughts on that? The fact for this weekend, back in 1964, the fact for landed on for the first time. Of course, we remember Julian Bond, the rights pioneer. All right, let's get into uh, let's get into news items of the politics, the geo, what the GOP is doing or not going to do or what they're going to do or whatever, whatever they're going to do, whatever, whatever. But as you know, Donald Trump is, of course, in the news, all over the news. Uh... 
And, of course, Hillary Clinton is all over the news as well. Uh, you listen to some of the stuff that's been going on. instance, this one, someone said that he could take Iowa. Anyway, um, Matthew Dow, uh, he said that one of the ABC News analysts on the real estate mogul, he could win Iowa. With Governor Branstad just a few moments ago, and I'm here now with the roundtable Democratic strategist Donna Brazil. Hugh Hewitt, host of the Hugh Hewitt Show, and Matt Dowd is back with us. And Matt, I want to go back to Donald Trump. I'm thinking what Radio Iowa reporter Kay Henderson told me about the three F's, fashion, food, and faux pas. Donald Trump seemed to break all of us. He could have eaten caviar here if he wanted no, to. You he can was add wearing it. white patent leather shoes to the state fair. You could add another F, which is fun, which is people seem to be having fun with this whole thing. To me, Donald Trump right now is like the rock star that comes to town. He's getting a lot of play. People want to be around him. He's actually, you look at all the polls, he's doing very well nationally, very well in Iowa. I think the question really comes down to, which is what you, one of the questions you asked is, how long can this last? Can it last the next 170 days all the way to Iowa? Right now, his level of support is fairly stable, and in a multi-candidate field, he can win Iowa and win a serious amount of states. Uh, Donna, Trump's leading, obviously, here in Iowa by, by about 22 percent in the latest polls. Then it falls off pretty sharply after that. Look at Bush down there at 5 percent, but 66 percent, this is a, an amazing figure, of likely caucus goers say they are still trying to decide. Well, absolutely. This is the part of the season where voters are basically shopping for someone that speaks for them, somebody who they believe will fight for them. And this is a state where people actually want you to talk to them, come into their living room, go to their union hall meetings. And if Donald Trump can expand the universe like President Barack Obama did in 2008, uh, you know, ensure that there are more new people coming to the caucus on, on that cold winter night, he could be the next uh, nominee for the Republican Party. And, and Hugh Hewitt, do you agree with that? Do you think he can go all the way? You've talked to him this week. Do you sense a change in him? Uh, he is having fun. What Matt said uh, really does resonate. He is having more fun than any candidate I've ever seen who usually hates this time of year. But I view the whole race as one race, and I think there's this whirlpool of weariness that is sucking in Hillary Clinton. Jeb Bush is trying to stay out of it. It got Rick Perry. It, it, it gets the people who've been around for a while. Trump is new, as is Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Scott Walker. These are new people. Carly Fiorina is a new face, and they've got energy. So when Donald Trump talked to me on the radio show, he talked about having energy. And I think the other candidates are well advised to pay attention. I'd open my radio show with him every day, and the audience would listen every day because <laughs> he's got so much energy.
So have the establishment Republicans lost control? What do they do? Do they change their strategy here? Well, I think it's been a series of overtime over the last 10 or 12 years. The Republican establishment has been had less and less control of the nomination process. I think they have no control over this process today. So I think if there's going to be somebody else that emerges to take on Donald Trump, it's going to be somebody on their own having to merge. I agree with you. Part of the thing that's driving this, which is driving Jeb Bush's numbers down and Donald Trump's numbers up, is the sense of energy and sense of strength and sense of decisiveness. And you may disagree with them, but you believe, like, wow, I can get on board that. It's a tremendous amount of energy. Jeb's got a real problem right now. He was the establishment candidate, and the party voters do not want the establishment candidate. And, and, and Donna, what do you think Donald Trump does, does for this race? Do you have to change the way you campaign? Jeb Bush clearly is, is having some second thoughts, I assume. I, I wouldn't change. If I was one of the establishment candidates, if I was one of the also ran from the previous cycle, I would continue to go out there, go to all 99 counties, sign people up. Remember, it's about touching people where they live, where they work, where they play, and they pray. If you can get them to go to the caucus on a winter night, you can change history in just a matter of minutes. And, and, and let's talk about the Democrats for, for a minute here. How much do you think this email server hurts Hillary Clinton, these classified emails? She has 1,362 precinct caps. She has one-third of the county uh, chairs with her. She's organizing in this state as if that matters next year. This email stuff, yes, is a huge distraction. Most of it is it a lot of... It's a distraction for a long well, time, well, right? She has 17 Republican candidates. She has four Democratic uh, uh, challenges. Yes, it's a, it's a perception problem, uh, but is it factually true? Look, the committee that, that Trey Gowdy is, is, is overseeing, they've spent more than $4 million trying to tear down Hillary Clinton's character. I think she will come out of this okay, but this will be a it's, long battle. It's let, let, more than a problem. It's an indictment. 18 U.S.C. 1924 is what led to the indictment of General Petraeus. It led to the indictment of Sandy Berger before that. It led to the indictment of John Deutsch, former CIA director, mishandling classified information. And Matt's had the clearances. I've had the clearances. You've had the clearances. It's a very serious matter. She doesn't have any explanation for erasing 31,000 emails. And that's not an 18-minute gap. That's an 18,000-minute gap. So this is, this is a criminal matter. And Donald Trump called it that on my show this week. Do the Democrats need a plan B? Look, you've got Joe Biden right now deciding whether he'll get in the race. First of all, this is not a criminal indictment, and she did nothing wrong. The fact that they are now saying that some of the emails that have been released should have been classified. We can get into the legality Let's of it. Let's get into Joe Biden. Let's get into Joe Biden. Hillary folks know that they know this is a problem. You can tell by the tenor with which they're responding to this. They know this is a problem. And we wouldn't be having a Biden conversation if Hillary was doing all great and everything was fine. Bernie Sanders right now is rising faster than anybody else. She's dropping. There's now a conversation about Joe Biden. They have a problem. But they may be so baked in the cake with Hillary Clinton, they can't get out of it. And they go into the general election with a wounded warrior, which is a big problem. And but she says, don't panic. Don't panic. Her supporters say, don't panic. I would advise, as a, as a former campaign manager, I would advise them not to panic as well. Look, just because it's animating people on the right and there's some serious questions and on the, the left, committee, and that, on the left. No, there are people that will, there will always be people who will panic in politics. But, mm -hmm. let, but let's, let's, Joe Biden is going to make a decision sometime at the end of the summer. He promised us that. 
this is a very difficult decision because it's coming at a very tough time. I don't believe there's anything true about the uh, rumors about Al Gore. We have about 30 seconds left. Just to a very quick comment from you about Biden getting in. Uh, I hope he does. It would be wonderful. He's a terrific politician to talk to. He's always worth a story and a headline. And, and Donna, I want to come back to you quickly. We lost civil rights activist, truly an icon, Julian Bond, last night at age 75. Just some final thoughts. Tragic. Uh, the former chair of the NAACP probably did more than any other civil rights leader of this era to help us in this new movement. He was the leader inside the NAACP that fought for marriage equality, a leader of, the, uh, of so many in, in the, the field for civil rights and justice. Really, great a real man, law. great man. He real will law. truly be missed by all of us. And we're going we're gonna to talk about him later um, on tonight. On tonight's it's program Julian Movies well. Better with Time Order Cable. But, uh, let's take the politics, folks. The GOP have all these candidates. Hillary Clinton is getting stacked up against them. Just go to movie on demand. All new and only What's going to happen? We, we have a problem with this audio. Yeah, so we're going to get back to that. Um, Okay, let's let's get let's um let's try to try some something else here. Yeah, let's try something else. Our Governor Terry Brastan, his thoughts on Sadano. This week, George Stephanopoulos. Back now at the Iowa State Fair, each year more than a million people flock here for the food, farm animals, and good old-fashioned fun. And every four years, there's an added attraction, a chance to meet the field of candidates running for president. I'm joined now by Iowa Governor Terry Branstad, 
who knows these fairgrounds and Iowa's political landscape better than most. And what do you make of what's happening this year? Quite a weekend with Donald Trump and his helicopter. <laughs> yeah, I saw it circling the fair here yesterday. And, of course, uh, uh, virtually every candidate for president. I think there's 22 candidates in both parties. 21 of the 22 are going to be here at the state fair. It's a great place to meet Iowans because we have people from all 99 counties. It's a great chance to see the talented young people. We just had the state fair queen um, was crowned last night. We had the Governor's Charity Steer Show. Lots uh, of golf carts going by all the time. <laughs> you know, Governor, you said in June that, that Donald Trump won't be the nominee. Are you still convinced? Yeah, I think in the end of the day, I mean, I think a lot of people are intrigued by uh, his uh, frankness and uh, his willingness to say about anything. But in the end of the day, I think that Iowans are uh, going to choose somebody that they, they feel uh, is the strongest candidate. Now, at this point, he looks pretty strong, but he also has a fair amount of negative. So I think uh, voters are going to have an opportunity to evaluate all the candidates. And, you know, if you think of four years ago, the lead changed hands many times before the Iowa caucuses, and I expect that will happen again this time. And um, Iowans tend to reward people that go to all 99 counties, work very hard, put a strong organization together, and it remains to be seen who's going to be most effective at getting that done. Uh, but Donald Trump flying around in that helicopter, they didn't seem to mind that here, these, these plain folks, as you say, just quickly, <laughs> Governor. Well, first of all, he was giving free rides to Iowa kids. So, you know, who could just like that, right? Right. It was a novelty. Uh, we see a lot of different things here, but obviously seeing a helicopter with Trump's name on it, and obviously he was mobbed here at the fair. But yes, he was. You know, I was here with Bush on, we'll wait and see. Uh, on Friday, and, and Walker will be here on Monday. Uh, um, Everybody comes to Iowa. Thank you very much. Oh, you're Governor welcome. Brent. Thank you. Aveeno Baby Lotion's Oat Formula is designed for your baby's sensitive skin. Aveeno, naturally beautiful babies. Turn now to Senator Claire McCaskill of Missouri, a Clinton supporter. Senator McCaskill, I'd like your reaction to what Chairman Gowdy said. Well, Secretary of State Clinton was not the first Secretary of State to use personal email, but she's the only one that has turned over tens upon thousands of her emails and asked them to become public. Now she's turned over her server. What this has turned into is just a good old-fashioned political witch hunt. Senator McCaskill, it is illegal to have classified information, especially top secret, outside a secure facility, correct? It, she did not do that. When she, that information at the time it was sent or received was not classified. So it may have been classified later, but Secretary Clinton utilized hard copies for uh, reviewing top secret information. Secretary Clinton's people are very careful to say it was not marked classified, but John Carr reported that at least two emails were top secret. Our experts are saying when you deal with top secret material, you know it's top secret. Well, I, I, I would differ with that because I know in one instance it was discussion of a drone 
that all of the information had been published in a public newspaper. So I, I think that there but, is... But shouldn't the Secretary of State know what classified material is when she reads it, whether it's marked or not? The point is, Martha, that she has been so forthcoming. I mean, they, they have the entire server. Uh, no one I, that I know of has figured out what motive Hillary Clinton would have uh, to in any way make our country vulnerable. So I, I really think if you look at this committee, if you look at all the accusations, uh, this has become just a partisan, this is called a Get Hillary Clinton Committee. That's what this committee is about. I, I want to talk about General Petraeus here briefly, though. He pleaded guilty to mishandling information, classified information, and those were largely handwritten notes, not marked classified. And yet those emails were on a server where others could hack into that, different from David Petraeus. More serious if you, if you think about it. Well, obviously, the server has been turned over. All of this information will be gone through. I think at the end of the day, we're going to determine what we know right now, that this is just a lot of political partisan smoke, that Secretary Clinton behaved the way she should as Secretary of State and did a terrific job while she was there. How much do you think this hurts her going forward? This could take a long time. I think the American people get what this is. Uh, I think they know that um, she has a record of being a fighter. Uh, she's going to fight through this primary. She's going to win this nomination. It's this not is just how you look that matters to us. It's how record, you feel. Um, Dr. Sunny O. the middle class in this country. And when people make up their mind next November, it's going to be about which policies and which candidate really shows strength and stability, I think she's going to be in great shape. And, and Senator, I want to turn to your new book quickly called Plenty Ladylike. You detail several incidents of sexual harassment, sexism during your time as a representative at the Missouri House. Do you think it still goes on today to the point there's not that many women running for president? I, I think we are um, beginning, I hope, to reach an era where we see more and more women candidates for the top office in our country. Certainly I've seen progress in the years I've been doing it, but as the book tells, there has, it's been an amazing roller coaster, an incredible uh, sexist behavior uh, when I was very young in these jobs. Uh, it's a little better today. It's certainly better for me as a United States Senator, but we just had an incident in the Missouri legislature where interns came forward after being harassed and it cost two politicians their jobs. So, Obviously, we still have a lot more work to do. And we thank you, Senator McCaskill. All right. Go back to 
go in style with Target. Turn now to another Republican candidate. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham joins us from New York. Senator, I want to ask you about uh, Donald Trump. He says that you attacked him and you went nowhere. He, he attacks his rivals and he either stays solid in the polls or even goes up a little. What do you make of all that? You know, it's pretty hard for me to understand where this thing is going with the Donald, but uh, at the end of the day, what he said about Senator McCain I thought was out of bounds. But here's the state of play. Our leading uh, uh, Republican is embracing self-deportation, that all the 11 million have to walk back where they came from, and maybe we'll let some of them come back. I just hope we don't go down that road as the party. So our leading contender, uh, Mr. Trump, uh, is going backward on immigration, and I think he's going to take all of us with him if we don't watch it. And let me now switch to the issue of foreign affairs. You and some of your remarks say uh, that we don't need to elect another novice as yeah. commander-in-chief. Who, in, in your view, among your opponents would you say is a novice? Well, I think I've got more experience than anybody running. For the last decade, I've been to Iraq and Afghanistan 35 times, 140 days on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan as a uh, reservist. Jeb Bush is a fine man, but his plan to destroy ISIL doesn't have a ground component. It's really not a whole lot different uh, than that of President Obama. If you're not willing to uh, commit more American boots on the ground in Iraq, from 3,500 to about 10,000, if you don't understand we'll never destroy ISIL in Syria without a regional army of which we will have to be part, you're not ready to be commander-in-chief, and really nobody on our side seems to be willing to put a plan forward that truly would destroy ISIL, and they need to be destroyed. Look at what al-Baghdadi did to this woman in Arizona. If I'm commander-in-chief, we're going after these guys and go after them hard until they are destroyed, and it will take an American ground component to achieve that goal. You've talked about your experience, but uh, when you use the word novice, I mean, are all the other candidates novices in your view? Well, they need to make the case that they're not. I can tell you what I've been doing for the last decade in terms of foreign policy. I've learned from my own mistakes. I've learned from President Bush's mistakes, President Obama's mistakes. Senator McCain and myself have been more right than wrong. We warned President do not leave Iraq without a residual force. Helped the Free Syrian Army three years ago when it would matter. We were standing by him to take action against Assad when he used chemical weapons, and the President failed to do so. I don't see anybody on our side coming up with a robust plan that truly would destroy uh, ISIL. And if we don't hit them there, they're coming here, according to the FBI director and the director of national security. So on our side, I really don't see anybody. Marco Rubio's been good on foreign policy, but you've got to realize you're not going to destroy ISIL without a ground force. You mentioned he's been good on foreign policy, but he's a, he has about the same experience on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that President Obama is, and you're saying that's just the thing we don't need again. I'm saying the last thing we need is somebody who is not ready to be commander-in-chief on day one. 33 years in the Air Force, 35 trips on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan. I know what works and what's not working. Uh, President Obama's strategy to destroy ISIL is failing miserably. We can't do this from the air. The Kurds are not the ground component. We need to go into Syria. Without Syria being fixed, you're never going to fix Iraq, and they're coming here. We'll be back with more Nation Talk after this. Stay tuned.
later, much later, we heard something. We didn't breathe for listening. Then footsteps on the back porch, creeping, then more confident. After all, nobody was home. A hand closed on the knob on the screen door to the kitchen and found it latched. We heard a little sawing sound as the file began to slice through the screen wire. Grandma reached down for something in her sewing basket. Through the darkness, I managed to notice Grandma's rocker was rocking and she wasn't in it. She was standing over me. Keep just behind me, she whispered. I followed her across the room into the kitchen. Now we were by the door and I heard the scuffle of heavy feet in there on the crinkly linoleum. Grandma turned back to me. Under my nose, she struck a wooden match with her thumbnail. She touched the match to something in her other hand. It sizzled. Then she leaned down and rolled it into the invisible kitchen. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book A Long Way from Chicago by Richard Peck. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Citizens of America, this is a message from FeedThePig.org. Americans spent more money than they earned in 2005. This is the first negative savings rate in the U.S. since the Great Depression. America, we must start feeding the pig. On the 1st and the 15th, we must pay ourselves before we pay anyone or anything. We must make a budget. Even consider cutting up a credit card. Log on to FeedThePig.org today. Find the benefits of saving for every stage of life. Brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Now, views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views of talk shoes, Jam Radio Productions, SonyHead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Here's the latest post 
on the 2016 race with Zio. What you do when you're stranded um, in a city and need a last-minute hotel? A Priceline Tonight Only deal. This GOP shake-up. Shake I call it Actually, it should be a GOP shake-down. <laughs> what did it shake-up? On the presidential campaign trail, Republican frontrunner Donald Trump is out tonight with new details on his much-publicized immigration policy. Mark Elbert. Oh, Lord. They have to go. Donald Trump is making deportation of illegal immigrants central to his immigration plan. He unveiled it Sunday, the first policy specifics of his campaign. The plan also would rescind President Obama's executive actions deferring some removals and automatic citizenship for children of illegals, build a wall on the Mexican border and get Mexico to pay for it, and triple the number of immigration agents. Trump also said he would be okay sending ground troops to fight ISIS and would not scrap the nuclear deal with Iran. But he told NBC, I would police that contract so tough that they don't have a chance. Trump continued his unrelenting attacks on one-time frontrunner Jeb Bush. He's made so many flubs, I don't even understand it. The Trump barrage and Bush's recent debate performance may be taking a toll. Bush lost the most support in a national Fox News poll out today, down six points. Now behind Ted Cruz, who's in third. Ben Carson gained the most, now in second place. People are starting to recognize that uh, the same old, same old is going to take us to the same place. <laughs> the same Fox poll shows Hillary Clinton falling below 50% for the first time, with Bernie Sanders up to 30%. Vice President Joe Biden, who is not in the race, is at 10%. Sanders on NBC was asked about a potential Biden candidacy. If he does run, I promise him an issue-oriented campaign. Clinton this weekend again tried to dismiss her email controversy. This is the usual um, partisanization, which I may have just made up a word, um, of anything that goes on. But GOP presidential candidate Carly Fiorina on ABC rejected Clinton's explanation. She's lied about her server and she's lied about her emails. Also today, when Donald Trump was asked whom he talks to for military advice, he said in part he watches the Sunday news shows. Meanwhile, Jeb Bush's allies hope to regain the momentum by placing a $10 million media buy starting tomorrow. Jeff? Alright, let's go to Cuba. Cuba's Stuck in the past when you're stranded in a big dream for the future. A Priceline tonight only deal. So I got on the range. Do you think this is going to work finally? Or this is a mistake? In Cuba this week, when the American flag was raised at the newly reopened American embassy in Havana. In a reporter's notebook, Margaret Brennan, who covered yesterday's ceremony, Tells us Cuba is a country stuck in the past, but with big dreams for its future. There is a nostalgia among the small but growing number of American visitors to Havana for life before the U.S. and Cuba became Cold War foes. They hitch rides in the classic cars, search for the highlights romanticized by Ernest Hemingway, and visit the tobacco shops that hand-roll Cuba's famous cigars. Even John Kerry, the first Secretary of State to visit in 70 years, stopped at one during his landmark trip. But Cubans 
many of whom gathered to watch the American flag go up at the U.S. Embassy for the first time in 54 years are clamoring for the future. Expectations have also been raised. Many of the Cubans we spoke with hope this change is more than symbolic. They hope this reopening will change everyday life. Many see a country in disrepair with limited communications and very little economic opportunity. A Cuban doctor told us she was eager to share medical expertise with her American counterparts. Shopkeepers hope Americans will buy goods and eat at the private restaurants they've only recently been allowed to own. And the two governments plan to work on drug enforcement and maritime security. With the flag being raised, is that just symbolic? At no, this no, it is just the first step. A top Cuban diplomat told us these small steps will test whether relations can ever really be normal and if that U.S. trade embargo will be lifted. It will take time, but I think the most important thing is that we are willing to do that, and the Cuban government is willing to do that. The flag raising was a symbolic end to a decades-long standoff, but also one of those rare moments when hope and history meet. Margaret Brennan, CBS News, Havana. Okay. Uh, what to do when you're stranded in a city and need a last-minute hotel? ISIS leader repeatedly raped U.S. hostage Kayla Mueller. I wanted to, to bring this story up. Um, this is, and ISIS is getting to be ridiculous now. They're, they're beheading our American Christians or any American or Americans who are soldiers. Now they're raping a a U.S. You know, U.S. hostage, Caleb Mueller. Uh, was repeatedly raped. Um, and murdered. Do this story. Today, on what would have been Caleb Mueller's 27th birthday, we learned that U.S. intelligence has been told she was tortured and sexually assaulted Minnesota while in activity of brutal. ISIS. It's tough being tripped up. It's a little stale. When Dad opens up the window, it's the first thing he does. Mueller, a humanitarian aid worker from Prescott, bring Arizona, in the air. And Holland, dark-haired. The sunshine looks like fairy dust. She was killed last wow. February in an Allied airstrike. Now, U.S. ISIS claims she was killed last February in an Allied airstrike. Now, U.S. officials say women once held with Mueller claim that she was sexually assaulted by the leader of ISIS himself. Here's Major Garrett. Kayla Mueller's parents learned of the grim details in June from the FBI. U.S. officials said the self-proclaimed ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi repeatedly raped Mueller, an American humanitarian worker, while she was held captive by ISIS with at least two other sex slaves in a Syrian compound. Al-Baghdadi visited the compound frequently and assaulted Mueller during those visits, according to senior administration officials. ISIS claims a coalition airstrike on this compound killed Mueller in February. The U.S. government said it was unlikely Mueller was held there at the time. The government based its conclusions about the sexual assault on interviews with two teenage girls who escaped ISIS captivity and heard directly from Mueller about the abuse. Corroboration also came, Scott, from interrogations of the wife of a top ISIS figure. 
Major Garrett reporting from the White House tonight. Major, thank you. It is it is sad. It is very sad uh, to learn about this. And I was telling somebody, I don't know if it's Vanessa or somebody, said they, what they ought to do is get like a crack commando team, small crack commando team. Go in there, hit butt. Open up a, just open up a can of, <clears throat> yeah, and just go ahead and just give it, and just, just give it to them. Surprise attack, you know, surprise them at night, cut off their, cut off their communications, cut off cut everything off from from them then attack. That would be that would be my strategy, you know, to get to get ISIS because um these these folks are really they are really full of hatred. Hmm. Just, just in. Morgan Freeman's goddaughter, Edina Hines, stabbed to death in New York City. In in the early morning hours of Sunday, August 16th, Deanna Hines, the, the goddaughter actor, Morgan Freeman was found dead in New York City's Washington Heights neighborhood. Please confirm to Us Magazine. Police tell us Hines was stabbed multiple times in the torso. She was taken. She was then taken to Harlem Hospital, where she was pronounced dead. She was 33 at the time of her death. The 30-year-old male was arrested after being found kneeling over Hines. He was taken to Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center, and is currently undergoing psychiatric evaluation. Uh, this is a statement that uh, Freeman, that Mr. Freeman gave, they quote, the world will never know her artistry and talent. Now how and, and how much she had to offer. Friends and family were fortunate enough to have enough to have, to have known what she meant as a person. Her star will continue to shine bright in our hearts, thoughts, and prayers. May she rest in peace. Please told NBC that Hines was Freeman's goddaughter, but she has also been referred to as a step-granddaughter. So unfortunate. So, so, so unfortunate. Press goes out to 
family. Fortunate, but nasty, terrible thing that just happened. We'll be back with more Nation Talk in a moment. Later, much later, we heard something. We didn't breathe for listening. Then footsteps on the back porch, creeping, then more confident. After all, nobody was home. A hand closed on the knob on the screen door to the kitchen and found it latched. We heard a little sawing sound as a file began to slice through the screen wire. Grandma reached down for something in her sewing basket. Through the darkness, I managed to notice Grandma's rocker was rocking and she wasn't in it. She was standing over me. Keep just behind me, she whispered. I followed her across the room into the kitchen. Now we were by the door and I heard the scuffle of heavy feet in there on the crinkly linoleum. Grandma turned back to me. Under my nose, she struck a wooden match with her thumbnail. She touched the match to something in her other hand. It sizzled. Then she leaned down and rolled it into the invisible kitchen. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book A Long Way from Chicago by Richard Peck. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Emily Richards for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. One person's negligence shattered my life in a single instant. You see, my little sister Annie was killed by a drunk driver. Please remember those you love. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Teach boys early that violence against women is wrong. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. That's teachearly.org. Brought to you by the future, but brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. What does it mean for salvation to be a gift from God? A presentation of God Questions Ministries. The word gift is an important one in the Bible, and it is good that we understand its definition and implications. In the New Testament, there are several Greek words translated gift. Some of these words are used in contexts other than God's gift of salvation, such as the reciprocal gift-giving of celebrants, Revelation 11, verse 10, the things received from fathers, Matthew 7, verse 11, offerings to a ministry, Philippians 4, verse 17, and the gifts of the Magi, Matthew 2, verse 11. However, when it comes to the matter of our salvation, the New Testament writers use different Greek words, words that emphasize the gracious and absolutely free quality of the gift. Here are the two words most commonly used for the gift of salvation. Dora, meaning a free gift. This word lays particular stress on the gratuitous nature of the gift, it is something given above and beyond what is expected or deserved. Every New Testament occurrence of this word is related to a spiritual gift from God. It is what Jesus offers to the Samaritan woman at the well, John 4, verse 10. It is called the free gift in Romans 5, verse 15. It is the unspeakable or indescribable gift in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. This gracious gift 
is identified as the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, verse 38, Acts 8, verse 30, and Acts 11, verse 17. The adverb form of this word is dorion, translated freely, in Matthew 10, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7, Revelation 21, verse 6, and Revelation 22, verse 17. In Romans 3, verse 24, immediately following God's pronouncement of our guilt, we have this use of Doraon, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The gift of salvation is free, and the motive for the gift is nothing more than the grace of the giver. 2. Charisma, meaning a gift of grace. This word is used to define salvation in Romans 5, verses 15 and 16. Also in Romans 6, verse 23, But the wages of sin is death, but the gift, charisma, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This same word is used in conjunction with the gifts of the Spirit received after salvation. Romans 12, verse 6, 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, and 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Obviously, if something is a gift of grace, it cannot be earned. To work for something is to deserve it, and that would produce an obligation, a gift of debt, as it were. That is why works destroy grace, Romans 4, verses 1 through 5, and Romans 11, verses 5 and 6. When presenting salvation, the New Testament writers carefully chose words that emphasize grace and freedom. As a result, the Bible could not be more clear. Salvation is absolutely free, the true gift of God in Christ, and our only responsibility is to receive the gift by faith. John 1, verse 12 chapter 3, verse 16, and Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. This has been a presentation of Got Questions Ministries, www.gotquestions.org. Well, the views of Peace of Nation Talk, and not necessarily the views of Talk Show, Generated Productions, com and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Maybe now is social activist, writer, Professor and former president of the NAACP, Julian Bond. Welcome to Detroit and well, welcome to the Henry Ford Museum. It's a pleasure to be here. It's very nice to meet you. Uh, let's talk about what was going on in 1955 uh, when Rosa Parks uh, does what she does on that on that bus. I think a lot of people think this was uh, the first thing that happened or the first part of the of the civil. Actually, there was a lot of. There was a lot of momentum already starting to build up in the South. A lot of momentum building up in the South, a lot of activity, a lot of uh, NAACP chapters across the region active and fighting for voter registration, fighting for this, fighting for that. At least two women before Rosa Parks had been arrested on the bus. Uh, but Rosa Parks is the first person to plead not guilty right. and therefore trigger a court, ca- a court case that resulted in integration of the, of the buses. So she's a true heroine of all this story. Right. Somebody said to me, uh, Martin Luther King didn't make Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks made Martin Luther King. Right. And so what, what part of uh, this movement were you involved in at that point? When Rosa Parks was sitting on the bus, I was a, uh, living in Atlanta, Georgia, and just trying to mind my own business <laughs> going to school. Uh, but in 1960, I became involved in the sit-in movement and helped to found the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and later worked for them for five years. Right, right. Uh, this is... Uh, Nine years before the passage of the Civil Rights Act, ten years before the passage of the Voting Act, the Voting Rights Act. What was it about this particular event that that seemed to, to catapult?
as you point out, you had a little of that courage yourself uh, at Atlanta yeah, City very, Hall. Very, very well, <laughs> I think I would say a little more than a little, but uh, in Atlanta City Hall, you uh, participated in a, in a sit-in to desegregate the, the cafeteria, the restaurant. Right, there was a cafeteria in the basement of the Atlanta City Hall, and I led a group of my fellow students from the Atlanta University Center into this restaurant, and we walked past the steam tables, which were manned by black women uh, serving the food. And they were surprised to see us, a mixture of happiness to see us because they knew about sit-ins in other cities, and a little fear because they knew if we were there, the police would soon be there. They didn't want to be around police. We went through the line. I came up to the woman, white woman who was a cashier, and uh, she said, I'm awfully sorry. This is for City Hall employees only. I said, you have a big sign out front that says City Hall Cafeteria. The public is welcome. She said, we don't mean it. <laughs> well, I, was, I will stay here until you do, and she called the police. The police came and took us away. Right, uh, and and that for you launched uh, a very long uh, career and, and struggle in this in the civil rights. Yes, that was my first step, and I've been trying to step along ever since. Right, uh, the Georgia legislature, for example, when you were elected, uh, refused to see refused you. Refused to see me because I I had endorsed the statement opposing the war in Vietnam. Well, I thought that was my constitutional right to have opinions about things, but uh, the Georgia legislature disagreed. They threw me out, declared my seat vacant. I ran for the vacancy. I won the election. They threw me out again. Uh, I ran again to fill my own vacancy, and eventually the Supreme Court decided that I was right, the Georgia legislature was wrong, was wrong I'm sorry, and I served for the next 20 years. Right. And, th and that sort of uh, going back over and over again, uh, not taking no for an answer, not accepting the idea that uh, uh, that you're a second-class citizen. That really was at the core of the, the idea of the civil rights movement and continues into today. Absolutely. The idea that you have rights and you're going to exercise these rights and you're going to demand that others respect your rights uh, just as a hallmark of the movement. Now, not everybody you know sat in, not everybody marched, not everybody participated, but the list of participants is, is enormous. Uh, and... Uh, hard to go into any section of the, of the South, at least, and talk to black people of a certain age, not to find somebody who did something in this movement. Right. We're going we're gonna to continue with that conversation with this interview with Julian Bond and some more things about him. Let me come back from our break. This is Nation Talk. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat, and apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Great part. Great party, huh, guys? Yeah, yeah it is. So great. much fun. Uh -huh. <laughs> I do say so myself. Um, hey, did you know that birthday parties actually help build confidence in kids? Um, yeah, I did know that. Did you know that giving kids less sugar before bedtime helps them sleep better? Right, of course. Yeah, I knew that. Um, did you know that strollers have the right of way on sidewalks? <laughs> oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Did you know that friendly kids statistically have more friends? <laughs> Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah? Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Obvious. Hey, guys, 
Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? I didn't know that. I think I knew that. No, you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The views and peas of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show, Generated Productions, com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk, your Sunday evening forum. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Talk your Sunday evening forum, the second hour here. Last hour we were talking about GOP, uh, of lack of what they're going to do. Still going to say what they're going to do. The Cuban and the the, the, the relation with the Cuban. That now we're gonna get to a conversation about killing um, bond civil rights leader. We're gonna continue with the conversation that we started during the last hour.
four years later, or two, uh, almost four years later, uh, still think those words. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the peculiar thing about the election of President Obama is that in some regards, it both signals a new racial tolerance in the country and in engineered a kind of uh, steps backward in the country. Racial enmity, according to public polls, has increased since he became president rather than decreased. So it's a, it's a real mixed blessing. Right, right. Um, you, you also said at that time that um, most people, when they think of the civil rights movement, think of Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. They don't really think of uh, the broader context of that movement and that we've really got to widen our familiarity with uh, with the people and the, the events. That, that right, and the that. Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, conducted a survey of how states do in teaching civil rights history. I wish I could remember how Michigan did. <laughs> I'm sure it did very well. I hope so. But, uh, but some states did awfully badly. Depending on the percentage of black people in the state, the better they did. But it's almost that's almost a sad because it sounds like if we have black people, we have to teach this subject. Right. If you right. don't have black people, we don't have to teach it. Everybody needs to know civil rights history. Right. Do, do you see a difference now in the South uh, versus the North? In terms oh, absolutely, of, uh, absolutely. Uh, tremendous difference. Movement. Tremendous difference. Uh, you can do things. I can do things in the South I couldn't have dreamed of doing sure. when I was uh, your age or younger. Um, so changes everywhere. Right. Right. Um, you have encouraged young uh, African Americans to join uh, civil rights organizations to keep this movement alive. Is that a hard sell in an era where they see an African American in yes, the White House? Yes and no. It's a hard sell because they say, well, these problems are over. We don't have to sit in the back of the bus. We don't have to march. We don't have to protest. Of course, we have to do all those things. There are still racial divides in this country between black and white, and they need to be closed. And the only way they're going to be closed is, is if people young, old, black, white, of every race and color, decide to push against them and make them change. Right. Uh, is, the, is the president's uh, uh, second term for him to rally people uh, more to that cause than he did uh, initially in that, in that you, first term? You hope so. You hope so. <laughs> you hope so. Yeah. Uh, and, and he certainly has stepped out. On, on the gay rights well, issue. Well, yeah, the gay rights issue on climate change, which none of the candidates mentioned in the last uh, election. It's right. just amazing. And none of them were asked about it in the last election, but he spoke about it in his inaugural address. Right, right. And that, that for you to stand and, and watch a black man uh, be inaugurated as the president of the United States for a second time must have been a particularly. Oh, yes, because I think the second election was more telling than the first election. One thing, because it's one thing to get elected the first time, and then to go through this long period of, of opposition that his opponents, you know, determined from the very first day to make him a failure, and did everything they could to put barriers in his way, for him to have overcome that and win such a resounding election, you know, when George Bush got those, those that kind of vote, he was said to have had a mandate. Right. When Obama got that kind of second vote, he, they started a secession movement. Yeah, right, that's right. Apples and oranges, yeah. still. Great to have you here. My wonderful pleasure. day for the country. It's a wonderful place. I can't understand why more people don't come. Yes, this is this is a jewel here in the southeast Michigan. Thank you for being here. me now is social Julian Bond is a man I've always wanted to meet and now will never get a chance to meet because he's passed away. Julian Bond has passed away at 75 years old. He is
legendary civil rights activist who helped to reshape my life, and he was the founder of the Southern Poverty Law Center, and always a reasoned, smooth gentleman who presented himself in a way that I would like to think I present myself from time to time, but I've never went through what he went through, and it says it right here. Few, very few throughout human history have embodied the ideals of honor, dignity, courage, and friendship like Dr. Julian Bond. Quite simply, this nation and this world are far better because of his commitment and life and commitment to justice and equality for all people. Wow. Very sad. Very sad. Very sad. 75 years old. I like Harry Belafonte too a little bit, you know? Just, um, goes to show you, all I had to do was just, I'm right here outside of Atlanta. I could just simply make time, go over, say, Mr. Bond, I'd love to interview you just because you're a part of history and culture, because that's what I do, you know? Julian Bond is a man. My name is Julian Bond. As Chairman Emeritus of the NAACP, I know a little something about fighting for what's right and just. Don't let religious bigotry keep loving, committed couples from marrying. Dr. Bond works to build bridges and unite us all around the injustices of discrimination. A civil rights pioneer who is among a handful of icons that can rightly be credited with leading our country to a more perfect union. Many gays and lesbians worked side by side with me in the 60s civil rights movement. Am I now to tell them, thanks for risking life and limb helping me win my rights, but they can't share now in the equality they helped to win? Not a chance. Because I believe gay rights are civil rights. That's why in 2006, the NAACP unanimously passed a resolution stating, we shall pursue all legal and constitutional means to support non-discriminatory policies and practices against persons based on race, gender, sexual orientation, nationality, or cultural background. Then, as now, the NAACP saw its support for gay rights as a logical extension of Hissik Starr's commitment to civil rights for all. Not only did black people not react in anger to these developments, as many had feared, but support for gay marriage among African Americans reached a new high in polls, increasing from 40% to nearly 60%. So we all have work to do in terms of education and enlightenment. Sometimes it is the simplest of ordinary acts, sitting at a lunch counter, registering to vote, going to a new school, applying for a marriage license, that can change the way we think and act. It's not enough to defend civil rights. We also have to extend civil rights. When others gain these rights, my rights are not diminished in any way. My rights are not diluted. My rights are not diluted when my neighbor enjoys protection from discrimination. He or she becomes my ally in defending the rights we all share. Good things can come, not to those who wait, but to those who agitate. We're all okay. And someday, marriage for all of us will be okay, too. We must believe in love over doctrine, and when we do that, we shall truly overcome. Thank you.
Yakitomi. Try it with no advertisements. Julian Bond, a lifelong civil rights leader and former board chairman of the NAACP, has died. He was 75. Bond died Saturday night after a brief illness in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, which he served as founding president in the 1970s. Not only has the country lost a hero today, we've lost a great friend, a legal advocacy group said in a statement. The Tennessee native was on the forefront of the 1960s civil rights movement and was among activists who demanded equal rights for African Americans. President Barack Obama highlighted what he called Bond's lifetime mission of justice and equality. Julian Bond was a hero and, I'm privileged to say, a friend, Obama said in a statement. Obama added, Julian Bond helped change this country for the better. And what better way to be remembered and that? Former President Bill Clinton and Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton also offered their condolences. Julian lived his life at the center of the fight for civil rights, equality, and justice, the Clinton said. Julian helped us to become a more perfect union and always pushed us to do better. We will miss him. Bond was part of a small group of students taught by the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. at Muller House College in 1962. King was certainly known, but he was not nearly as famous then as he became, and he certainly didn't act like a famous person, Bond told CNN in 2013. That was my feeling in being in that class and listening to him. He was important. He definitely seemed like an important person, and he was important in my life. I knew even at the time that I was privileged to learn from him, but he never made us feel as if he was that important. That's not what it was about. It was around that time that Bond helped lead one of the first student sit-ins in Atlanta. With Julian's passing, the country has lost one of its most passionate and eloquent voices for the cause of justice, said Morris Dees, co-founder of the SPLC. Bond campaigned for equal rights for minorities beyond the United States. In 1985, police arrested him outside the South African Embassy in Washington, where he was protesting against apartheid, the legalized racial segregation enforced by South Africa, at the time. He advocated not just for African Americans, but for every group, indeed every person subject to oppression and discrimination, because he recognized the common humanity in us all, Dees said. Bond was elected to the Georgia House of Representatives in 1965, but his white colleagues in the House refused to let him take a seat because of his opposition to the Vietnam War. A year later, the Supreme Court accused the legislature of violating his freedom of speech and ordered it to seat him. Create professional quality, commercially licensed voice response prompts with Yakitomi. It's with Yakitomi. President Barack Obama is calling civil rights leader Julian Bond a hero who helped change the country for the better. Bond died Saturday in Florida. Grandson of a slave and son of a college president, Bond attended Atlanta's Morehouse College, where he was a student in a philosophy class taught by Martin Luther King, Jr. In the 1960s, Bond helped lead the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, known as SNCC, planning nonviolent protests throughout the segregated South. At the age of 26, Bond was elected to the Georgia State Legislature and served there 20 years. He made a run for Congress but lost an epic race to fellow civil rights activist John Lewis in 1986.
He was also the first president of the Southern Poverty Law Center, which advocates for justice and equality, and later chairman of the NAACP and served more than a decade in that post. Two years ago, Bond spoke at the 50th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. We're still being tested by hardships and adversity, from the elevation of stand-your ground laws to the evisceration of voting rights acts. But today we commit ourselves, as we did 50 years ago, to greater efforts and grander victories. Thank you. Julian Bond was 75. To discuss the legacy of Julian Bond, I'm joined by a Skype from Martha's Vineyard by Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, a civil rights pioneer in her own right, whose relationship with Bond goes back to their days together at SNCC. When you heard the news, what went through your mind? Well, I wasn't even a little bit ready to lose my good friends and constituents because uh, because Julian has lived in Washington now for more than 25 years and been a champion, among other things, of status for the District of Columbia. I saw him only a few months ago when he came right after Ferguson when I had a forum at Howard University to discuss racial profiling. And I wanted to have Julian come because I wanted uh, to have this conversation, Julian and me, with these students in order to let them know we were in touch with their movement and we understood their movement it was different than our movement and that their movement showed that our movement needed to be updated because for all the achievements of our movement, we had not touched racial profiling. What, what Julian managed to do was something that most of us who were in SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, did not Hi, I'm Alex. I love Avon Ultra Color Indulgence Lip And once you see this, you will too. the civil rights of our time, and that's why he was so respected and such a sought-after speaker. Can you give us an idea of the contributions that he's made that most of us in this generation now might not recognize? Well, if you think about it, from the generation of next people, those of us who were in the student movement, uh, there were two or three that achieved some kind of prominence afterwards. Uh, Marion Barry became the mayor of the District of Columbia. John Lewis, who still is an icon of the civil rights movement. Julian Bond, and I am running out of names. The fact is, that not everybody survived those sick days. It took a lot out of people. It almost destroyed some people. So Julian was not only a survivor of SNCC, he went on to grow the civil rights movement. What are you gonna miss most about him? I'm going to miss having a national spokesman when something happened on our right to speak out for the country. There are really very few leaders like that who are nationally known, who are nationally prominent, and who are nationally appreciated across the generation. And somehow he managed not to stop serving until the end of his life. That is quite a life to have lived. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, thanks so much for joining us. Jen, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, how about a slice? 
When a friend tells you they've been diagnosed with a mental illness, it can be a little awkward. But what's even more awkward is, if you're not there for her, she'll be less likely to recover. Ken, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Girl, I'm here for you. Mental illness. What a difference a friend makes. To learn more, go to whatadifference.org. This message is brought to you by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Well, howdy! Thanks for coming to Big Bubba's. We got a mess of used cars. What can we do for you? Uh, we're looking for, um... Something cute. Well, here's a beauty. A 99 model with a moonroof. As a bonus, we'll throw in a leaking gas tank. You can be driving and kaboom! Adds that zing of excitement. You got any other cars? Wouldn't it be great if you could be warned of life's risks? If you have diabetes, you can. There's a simple blood test called A1C that can help measure your risk of complications from diabetes. Why is it important? Because more than 600 people every day die from diabetes and its complications. If your A1C is above 7, your doctor can show you how to lower it. If you have diabetes, know your risk. Know your A1C. Ask your doctor. Or for more information, go to www.diabetesa1c.org or call 1-877-TEST-A1C. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International, and the Ad Council. Can you tell if the surfaces in this kitchen are crawling with bacteria that could cause chronic arthritis? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. Wash surfaces, utensils, and hands frequently with soapy water while preparing food, especially when handling raw meats or eggs. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by cleaning with soap and water as you go. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Citizens of America, this is a message from FeedThePig.org. Americans spent more money than they earned in 2005. This is the first negative savings rate in the U.S. since the Great Depression. America, we must start feeding the pig. On the 1st and the 15th, we must pay ourselves before we pay anyone or anything. We must make a budget. Even consider cutting up a credit card. Log on to FeedThePig.org today. Find the benefits of saving for every stage of life. Brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. One person's negligence shattered my life in a single instant. You see, my little sister Annie was killed by a drunk driver. Please remember those you love. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily views of Talk Show. Generated ProductionStudio.com and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Now we're going to move into music. I don't know if any of you remember, and I kind of remember, but, well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not too sure. I was very young when this happened. I was very young. But those of you who may remember this event... This is Britain's revenge for the Boston Tea Party. 3,000 screaming teenagers are at New York's Kennedy Airport to greet, you guessed it, the Beatles. This rock and roll group has taken over as the kingpins of musical appreciation among the younger elements. Some music critics call their harmony unmistakably diatonic. Others say it's pandiatonic. Parents say it's just plain pandemonium. Their first meeting with the American press brings forth an interview laced with quips and humor. You laugh, too, with a gross of $17 million last year. New York City cops are hard-pressed protecting the Beatles at their hotel. On every side, there is hero worship that recalls the heydays of Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra. With one Beatle bedded with a sore throat, three of the quartet take an airing in Central Park. There was absolutely no truth to the rumor that the zoo's laughing hyena was driven underground. That's when the Fab Four came to visit, or as they said, invaded the U.S. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Why are the Beatles still popular? Just to give you an idea with type two diabetes, why they're still they're certainly not alone. Why they're still popular? All right, Rocker Nation, what is going on, guys? Welcome to the Rocket Out Vlog. It is Friday, February seventh. 2014, and I apologize for the sound quality, but uh, the mic that I normally use for episodes of the Rocket Out Blog is currently in repair. 
occurred to you as to why you succeeded? Uh, I don't know, really. You know, as you say, the haircuts, we didn't think they were a gimmick, but everyone else said, oh, what a gimmick. What is the Mercy sound? How does it differ from other rock and roll and pop? Uh, it doesn't really. It, it just happened that all of a sudden, uh, hundreds of rock groups all from Liverpool made records, and it was a bit more like the original rock and roll than the stuff they've had over the last few months. Hi. Hi. So people decided suddenly, you know, there's all these Liverpool groups, so they call it the Liverpool sound and the Mersey beat and everything else. On the Nicky Cuff all thing. Yeah, but it's yeah. just, yeah. It's just a way of classifying it, but I don't think the music's very different. Do you have any fears that your public eventually will get tired of you and move on to a new favorite? Mm. They probably will, but, you know. You ever think about it? Depends that? how long it takes for them to get tired. Yeah. Don't it? it it's, it's stupid to worry about things like that, because, I mean, it could... It's not worth could missing your sleep for, is it? No, but no. It could happen tomorrow, and it could, you know, we could have quite a run. This is We just hope we are going to have quite a run. The Beatles, who started their act in the waterfront pubs of Liverpool, are now clicking off $5,000 a week in one-night stands. They have sold two and a half million records. They lead the hit parade. They get the biggest fan mail on record. They have inspired the sheepdog hairdo. They are also credited with having saved the sagging British corduroy industry. And besides being merely the latest objects of adolescent adulation and culturally the modern manifestation of compulsive tribal singing and dancing, the Beatles are said by sociologists to have a deeper meaning. Some say they are the authentic voice of the proletariat. Some say they are the authentic heart of Britain in revolt against the American cult of pop singers represented by Elvis Presley and the long line of his British imitators. Some say the Beatles represent authentic British youth, or British youth as it would like to be, self-confident, natural, direct, decent, vital, throbbing. The Beatles themselves seem to have no illusions. They symbolize the 20th century non-hero as they make non-music, wear non-haircuts, give non-mercy. And meanwhile, yeah, 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 the fan mail keeps rolling in, and so does the money. This is Alexander Kendrick in Beetleland. Although you haven't seen much of Dallas, uh, the part of it you have seen, what do you like? Well, I'm pretty fine. Uh, did you get pretty fine. Did you get to see the presidential site? Um, no, we've done a bit we've seen so far of the hotel. On the, on the drive, it looked a nice place on the, when we drove to this place here, whatever this is. Uh, Ringo, uh, do you have any political affiliations at all? No. He just needs to smoke. Uh, I don't even smoke. Is that, what, what type of cigarette is that? Is that roll your own? Roll your One own. of these, but it don't wear so well. <laughs> he said an American accent. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of girls do you prefer? My wife. Your wife. What yeah. kind of girl is she? She's a nice girl. Nice girl. When you marry, what kind of girl are you going to have? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't sorted one out yet. I like them all. Uh, wait, what? Yeah, how about that? How about that, eh? Ain't that hey, thank you. What kind of girl do you like? Uh, John's wife. John's wife? Tony knows. That's a clown. Nobody likes a clown. No, uh, uh, do y'all have any, uh, any, any books coming out now? Anytime soon? 
But some of that life lies beyond statistics, an influence, musical and otherwise, that shaped an era and fired a revolution. Only the man died Tuesday. What he symbolized and what he created are still with us. This is the CBS News Special Report. Elvis. Here is CBS News correspondent Charles Kuralt. Good evening. Elvis Presley was buried today amid scenes that reflected the birth of his gaudy career 21 years ago. Fans sobbed and wept. All that emotion reminded us that he was a man who influenced millions of lives but couldn't control his own. He put on weight in recent years, became reclusive. There were rumors of drug abuse, although the coroner said he found no sign of that. What we're left with is a life that was the stuff of fables. The world didn't notice his birth in a two-room shack, but it noticed his death on radio and television and front pages here and all over Europe. The President of the United States expressed his sorrow. The money-making machine that was part of the Presley legend ground on. Record stores sold out of his albums. The nation's biggest 16-millimeter film distributor reported the biggest day in its history as fans clamored for Presley movies. And Elvis Presley, country boy, died in a mansion on a street that was named for him. Ed Rabel was at the funeral. This Memphis. Mississippi River town that once gave birth to the Beale Street Blues is still mourning the death of its most famous citizen. Thousands from other cities and towns came here to share in the grief of Memphis. Last night, two teenage girls who had come all the way from Louisiana were killed by a speeding car as they stood in the crowd that lined Elvis Presley Boulevard. Police stopped the car and arrested the driver, who witnesses said had intentionally swerved into the crowd. It was terrible. It was awful. It was a nightmare. I think it's horrible. It's terrible. I don't see who, who could do something like this. Why did you stay after the accident? I've been here for two days. I come as soon as I heard Elvis died, all the way from Pittsburgh. I couldn't leave for nothing. Though they knew his funeral was to be private, many thousands of Presley's admirers were still outside his home this morning, hoping that somehow they might get in. But only relatives, close friends, and some celebrities were allowed into the 14-acre estate Presley called Graceland. 150 people from show business had been invited. Anne Margaret, Burt Reynolds, John Wayne, and many others reportedly came. Cameras and news people were kept from the service, which lasted more than an hour. Afterwards, led by ten white Cadillacs, the funeral procession left Graceland for the three-and-a-half-mile drive to Memphis Forest Hill Cemetery. It was repeatedly delayed by mourners who broke through police lines to try to get close to the hearse, which carried Presley's body. At the cemetery, some fans tried to get closer to the mausoleum where Presley was to be entombed, but were pushed back by authorities. Funeral flowers sent to Presley by admirers filled the lawn in front of the marble mausoleum. Inside, a cubicle called the Presley Room had been ready to receive the coffin. Eventually, other Presley family members would also be interred here. The crypt for Presley's body was covered with a black silk curtain. The crypt will always be visible to the public through a locked wrought iron door. Six pallbearers carried Presley's body in a seamless copper coffin to its final resting place. Later, the mourners emerged composed but pale. Elvis Presley's family, his close friends, and his devoted followers had all paid their last respects. Ed Rabel, CBS News, Memphis. There were clearly carnival aspects to the public mourning of Elvis Presley today. The hawking of souvenirs in the streets, 
recalled the early days of the legend when a whole new youth market opened up for Elvis t-shirts and Elvis bubblegum cards and pictures of Elvis that glowed in the dark. In the ten years before his death, all that seemed part of the past. Those of us who didn't attend his concerts might have forgotten him, except as a relic, so that some of today's grief seemed contrived. But all these years, as many as 4,000 letters a day continued to arrive at Elvis Presley Fan Club headquarters in Madison, Tennessee, and some of the loyalists came to Memphis today. Elvis Presley Boulevard, outside the main gates of Graceland, is largely deserted tonight. The vigil held by thousands of people is over. Bouquets of flowers decorate the entrance to the huge estate, where Presley's body was viewed by more than 20,000 persons. People he knew well, people he had never even met. Shortly after Presley was buried, the street cleaners began clearing away the refuse of an enormous crowd. The thousands of mourning Presley fans who had converged on Memphis came from all over the nation. Most of them were not wealthy, and so they had to drive for long hours over hundreds of miles, some in battered autos. They packed up the kids and the family dog, even left their jobs to be here. One family from Indiana, living off Social Security, spent $300 on the trip. The, the cost didn't seem to matter. They were all drawn to Presley in death, as they had been drawn to him in life. Copying is the greatest. That's what I think. There'll never be another one like him. To me, he'll, he'll live in the hearts of people forever. Uh, it took us about 16 hours getting us sick. We can't believe the people here. Other than that, you know, rock and roll never forget. I'm out of your seat. Awful. Like a sudden died. A part of me died. Why a part of you? Because it was just, I was loving. I loved his music. I loved him. And just on this final day of mourning, the large crowd attracted the merchants who have sought to capitalize on the deep Presley sentiment. Elvis Presley Memorial T-shirts were selling for five dollars. How's business going with these T-shirts? Oh, it's going great. It really is. But people are getting something more than a T-shirt. They're getting uh, an experience, and then they're getting something that they can remember Elvis. Bob, I think Elvis would have probably liked it. You know, and he probably does. You know, I think his spirit is. Uh, you know, uh, consciousness probably is around, but I don't think you destroy that. I think that keeps going after the body deceases. <laughs> there were even specially made-up pennants, souvenirs that are usually sold at sporting events. If some events surrounding Presley's funeral seem somewhat unusual, even incongruous, perhaps irreverent, it might have been because of how these people perceived Presley himself, a person not unlike them from a simple background who managed to climb above the confines of little education and poverty to become a heroic figure. His mourners today smiled more than they cried. Chris Kelly, CBS News, Memphis. Memphis took pride in Elvis Presley, partly, some said, because he never went Hollywood, except to go out there to make a few pictures. He always returned home to Graceland, his 14-acre estate. And as they buried him today, it was hard to remember just how profoundly he helped change some things in American life. Until he came along, the young people in the 1950s were called the silent generation. Whatever else became of them after that, they weren't silent. Not after hearing that voice singing those songs. Oh, 
looking at his life, you have to start with the fact of his name. It was perfect for fame, giving him an instant idiosyncratic identity, like those other public figures of the 1950s, Adlai and Tallulah. You never heard anybody ask, Elvis who? He was born Elvis Aaron Presley, January 8, 1935, in Tupelo, Mississippi. A twin brother died at birth. Those were hard times, depression times. His father, Vernon, was a truck driver and day laborer. Gladys Presley pampered her only child. Recreation was music at the Pentecostal First Assembly of God Church. Since I was two years old, Elvis Presley once said, all I knew was gospel music. We used to go to those religious singings all the time. He won his first singing contest at a fair when he was 10. And the next year, his mother bought him his first guitar. He carted it around, playing, he said, like somebody beaten on a bucket lid. The family moved to Memphis when Elvis was 13. We were broke, man, broke. And we left Tupelo overnight. We just headed for Memphis. Things had to be better. Memphis music, then, was hillbilly and blues. Elvis hung around with musicians of both races. He majored in shop at Humes High School, got kicked off the football team, perhaps for growing sideburns, and was remembered by a classmate as having character but no personality. He was 18 in 1953, a $40 a week truck driver when he started paying $2 a side to record at Sam Phillips' Sun Studio. In 1954, one of those songs, a conventional blues called That's All Right, took off. in 1955, he hooked up with Colonel Tom Parker of the Great Parker Pony Circus, who later said, when I met the boy, all he had was a million dollars worth of talent. Now he's got a million dollars. When he went into the Army, got married, became a father, got divorced, all of that was news. Because, as somebody said, Elvis had the moment. He hit like a Pan-American flash, and the reverberations still linger from the shock of his arrival. He was, somebody else said, supremely a man of the time. The time, by the way, was not now, and not like now. The time was different, only 20 years ago, but so far away now that it seems impossible we lived through it. When Elvis Presley first stepped sneering onto the stage of our memory, ducktail and sideburns and leather jacket and vulgar arrogance, he seemed to a lot of people of normal sensibilities to be revolting. And when he switched to red, white, and blue, and sequins, and spangles, and a Superman cape, he seemed a joke. Whatever this was, it wasn't music. We didn't know music was about to change. He was about to change it. We were about to change, too. How could we have known that? Try to remember. Try to remember. 1956 was the year Elvis Presley made his first national impact. Ike was in his glory, and Grace was in her palace, and all was right with the world. Except that an Alabama preacher named Martin Luther King didn't think so. He helped lead a boycott in Montgomery against the well-established idea that blacks should sit at the back of the bus. Some things were beginning in 1956. Elvis Presley was widely considered to be a passing fad. We were becoming accustomed to flashes in the pan, like the Davy Crockett hat and the hula hoop. A few more shakes of the hip, and Elvis would be gone. But he didn't go. Well-considered adult ideas, like the Edsel, failed miserably. The best
most American minds could not for the longest time seem to put a satellite in space to match the Russian Sputnik. The American space effort in those early years produced failure after failure. While so many of the sincere best efforts of grown-ups flopped, Elvis Presley, this unlikely phenomenon of youth, succeeded gaudily. We're just trying to put Elvis Presley into the context of his time by trying to remember what else became big at about the time he did. Jet planes, tail fins, instant coffee, power mowers, electric typewriters, princess phones. You see, grown-ups had fads, too, but they were bland and innocent beside this boy with the curled lips and the pulsing hips. We turned to Vance Packard, the author who started in the 50s explaining us to ourselves to help explain what it was about Elvis Presley. Did Elvis Presley come along um, and take advantage of something that was about to happen anyway? Yes, I think this was happening all along the line. Uh, the, uh, not only music, but the, and, and sexual mores and, and the way that people dressed in, uh, in the up until well in the late 50s. Uh, the great planets, it was still mandatory for men or, or and with it. And uh, they had very strong ideas about even changing buttons on a on a suit. And the women wore dresses and, and uh that there was only a, a narrow range in which they could raise and lower the hem. The idea of the women's rule was that, that, that uh, she had the the station wagon full of kids out in the suburbs, uh, taking them off to school and this was glorified all through America. Elvis Presley burst on a rather quiet, tame American scene. Did he actually help change things? Well, he, he helped change the sexual uh, mores in terms of restraints. I think, I think that uh, he was a, a key figure in this. I mean, with his sensuality uh, uh, and his, and his uh, great bursting away from restraint and the way he presented himself in all of the songs. I mean, that was, that was the biggest characteristic. And it was a that gave the people, the millions of people watching, permission to break this from the inhibitions that they had. It wasn't just years ago, it was ages. When Elvis Presley got out of the Army in 1960, one of the reporters who sat down to interview him was a 25-year-old CBS News correspondent. Good heavens, that's me. Elvis, you have some screaming fans out there. Do you still like screaming girls? <laughs> Well, it was all so long ago. from his music, Elvis Presley seems to have built his persona from the movies he saw when he worked as an usher. Tony Curtis's Ducktail, Marlon Brando's Truculence, James Dean's Vulnerability. When the collage was assembled, show business paid the ultimate tribute. In 1960, it made a Broadway musical, Bye Bye Birdie, about the Presley phenomenon. The film version followed three years later. You 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.